Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, April 13, 2014. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator for this morning. The share ID for Friday, April 11th, is 6163. That's 6163. This morning, A Vision for You presents Came to Believe, focusing on Step 2, Came to Believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. In Step 1, we found complete despair, powerlessness. We cannot solve the problem of our compulsive overeating by ourselves. We've realized that anything that comes from our own resources, will, effort, philosophy, morality, goals, or good intentions, won't solve our problem of compulsive overeating. Our human resources alone simply aren't sufficient. Step one becomes the foundation of our recovery. Step two is the cornerstone laid on that foundation. This morning, a vision for you presents Came to Believe, which will consist of a panel of five recovered compulsive overeaters who will share their personal experience with Step 2. In Step 2, we will find hope, a power greater than ourselves, will restore us to sanity. Our panelists this morning include Irini from New York, Sylvia F. also resides in New York, Kathy K. from Massachusetts, Marita from Virginia, and Sharon R.S. from Minnesota. And we'll get started with Irini. Good morning, Irini. Good morning. Thank you, Leah, for once again, giving me yet another opportunity to grow. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, and I'm a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. I cannot be grateful without thanking God each and every time I share, admitting what I used to be and accepting what I am today. I have been in the rooms for eight years. I am recovered for two years one day at a time with the grace of God. I have been healed from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. It's a gift from God. I was given a new way of living. I feel so humbled to share with you what is most precious in my heart, step two. But before I took step two, I had to take step one. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. The principle of step one is honesty the quality of being truthful. I had to be honest and admit what my problem was and act accordingly. Taking step one 100%, I had to fully concede to my innermost being that I am a compulsive overeater. I had to accept that I am different from the normal eater. What separated me from the normal eaters is this disease that I have a physical allergy and a mental obsession. That delusion that I believed that I was a normal eater had to be smashed. There had to be a death of food. I had to end the relationship that was killing me. 
this is the first step in recovery. But at that point, I still didn't know what I didn't know, and I couldn't see what I couldn't see. I had to learn the language of my disease. I had to understand that part of that honest assessment was realizing that I had such a desire to stop, but I couldn't do it on my own. I needed something more. I needed to find a power that I didn't have. And most importantly, that I couldn't do that until I was convinced I was powerless, which is poverty of the soul. That was the final realization I needed to complete step one. What is the poverty of the soul? My soul was starving while I stuffed my body with food. This brings me to step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Their transition to step two involved understanding that that power that I needed, the power that I didn't have, was a power that was greater than myself. For me, that power was God. I had grown up with the idea that God was in my life. It was easy for me to accept the idea that if I just believe in God, he will heal me. But the process of step two required more than just that. The words of step two, came to believe, meant I had to think about God in a different way, to start a new mental process, to form a new concept. The promise of step two is based on a condition, and that is working the steps. I had to act out what I believe in. When I was a compulsive overeater, I believed in God, but I also believed I had the willpower to control myself. This second belief was a lie, and that's what got me into these rooms. The only way to change was that I had to believe something different. If I keep believing the same, I will be the same. The second step gave me a choice to grow, to change, and not necessarily to understand it. I had a choice to continue living my old ways or choose a different life based on a spiritual basis. I was given an opportunity of a lifetime to revolutionize my life. That power that that power greater than ourselves, well for me that was supposed to be God as I understood him and that is where I got stuck. I always believed in God way before I entered the rooms. But what was my conception of God and how did I act on my belief of God? This is where I was confused. It turned out I was spiritually dead, separated and disconnected from the one source that I needed to live a sane life. But it also turned out I was finally so desperate that I was ready to accept spiritual help. Remember, if I keep believing the same, I will be the same. My journey started with a new conception of God. Page 46, paragraph 1. I had to lay aside my prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, which for me is God. All I did in step two was change. Just like in step one, I changed from picking up the food to picking up the spiritual tools. I changed my belief about God, and the process began. I had always believed in God, but what was my beliefs about God? Well, I used to believe that God was a punishing God, that he kept score when I was bad or good, that I had to earn my way into heaven, that I had to prove I was a good girl by working hard at it. 
most of all, that he was way up there in the sky, unreachable, that I was just a nobody, and my problem of having an eating disorder was no importance compared to the tragedies of the world. I had it all wrong about God, and how could that be? I always went to church. I always saw my mother pray on her knees in front of the icons at home. What went wrong? Even though I knew of God, I was blocked. I wasn't connected. Therefore, I didn't have his power to see the light of the Spirit. I was in darkness. I was spiritually dead. I was taught to rely on my own power to take care of myself so I can get to a better place, that I should learn to handle anything that comes my way, to be self-sufficient and to rely on nobody but myself. Well, I took a chance and changed my belief system. Remember, if I keep believing the same, I will be the same. I had to change my belief about God. As soon as I was willing... The wall that kept me isolated and in the pain also kept the love out. It kept God out, and it kept everybody else out. It was my soul that was starving for his unconditional love. I experienced when I I relied on self, I cut the main source of power from God. At this point, I already had made a lot of changes. I first opened my fist and let go of the food, and I grabbed hold of the gift of abstinence. Then I opened my fist again, and I let go of my old beliefs and grabbed onto new ideas of God. What a gift. I found a pattern that worked for me. Open up, let go, and allow myself to receive. Wow. What a miracle. So simple, yet so powerful. I always thought that my life wasn't going to change, that I would have to live my life suffering, always in pain and misery, wearing different masks masks to cover up my internal chaos. But I have to say, there was always something there that guided me that I never understood. I was in constant conflict with myself, and if I was in, as if I was in a spiritual battle. Every time I had to make a choice from my heart or mind that neither worked, I seek inwardly to tap into this something that was always there for me in faint moments, not knowing what it was. After doing the steps, I realized it was a form of faith that I now practice consciously. I had a lot of fear of letting go of my old ideas and not knowing where it would lead me. But because I felt so hopeless and trapped in my thoughts, I had to trust. I had a desire to open up my heart and mind to the truth that would set me free. I let go of my old beliefs of God and allowed new beliefs to enter. And the process of my journey continued with the first part of step two, with a simple question on page 47, paragraph two. Do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? Well, the answer for me was yes. I was convinced to trust and have confidence to accept what the truth is, that there is a power that is greater than myself to influence my behavior and my way of thinking. It was putting my faith to work, not just thinking about it, but actually practicing to let go, knowing that he will always be there to catch me. I started to practice little by little in this new way of believing about God. With each and every step that I took, my mind started to be conditioned with the thought of his presence, to listen and to do the right thing 
as opposed to doing what I felt like doing. It was faith that enabled me to let go of the food. Faith helped me to let go of rage and self-sabotage. And if I didn't believe that I can be saved, then I would act as if until I really believed. I couldn't see God, but I act and live as if I could see him. It is through faith that I see more with my eyes of my soul. That is God's love. Today, I see him everywhere. Not intellectualizing, I started to have a spiritual understanding that didn't come from my mind. I practiced to humble myself and quiet my pride in order to listen, for his message is but a whisper. Remember, if I keep believing the same, I will be the same. Page 50, paragraph 4, there has been a revolutionary change in the way of living and thinking. I always felt trapped by my way of thinking and my circumstances. It got me physically and emotionally sick. My problems were my own making. Self-centeredness, selfishness, and relationships were the root of all my problems. I would never take responsibility for my actions. Instead, I would justify my behavior. All my pain came from feeling guilty over what I did to myself and others and living in resentment for what others did to me. I would remember it and rehearse it over and over again. This kept me a prisoner of my thoughts. The constant beating myself up, the negative thoughts then leaked into my body and I couldn't take the stress. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. All this led to my depression, and it affected my relationship with God, my relationship with self, and my relationship with others. So I started over. It began with a change of heart and mind, with the grace of God. I began to think differently in the we form. I had a partner in my life, and that was God. We started to do everything together. Having God as a friend What a concept. Whatever I focused on became more powerful. Before I focused on the food, and it was very powerful. Now I chose to focus on God, and he is the power. God has a hold on me. I disconnected myself from the food and connected myself to God. My focus shifted. He became my ease and comfort. He started to have a hold on me. I started to be rooted in the light of love. This was a process of taking baby steps, and it continues still today. Once I connected with the power that I needed, in my weakness, I started to become strong. I started to see God carrying me onto his path through the steps. His direction of what he would want me to be, he started to transform my way of thinking. Remember, if I keep believing the same, I will be the same. So I had to change my relationship with food in order to change the way I was behaving with food. I had to stop fighting the food. I had to change my relationship with God if I was going to have a connection with his power and grow spiritually. I had to stop fighting him. I needed to accept the truth of faith and believe in it without fully understanding it. It's of the knowing that comes within and accepting that. The second part of step two, page 53, paragraph two, we had to make a choice. Here I was given yet another opportunity to grow, to change. 
Either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. It's simple. A choice. Before even making a decision, believe or not believe. Will I open the door or not? Will I turn the lights on or stay in darkness? Once I started acting differently, it changed the way I thought. And once my thoughts were changed, then it changed the way I felt. It was the measure of my faith in saying that God is everything. It was my decision. And yet, I was still challenged by the idea, what if there is no God? Well, if there wasn't a God for me, then why wouldn't I even want to be willing to believe and act as if there is a God? After all, nothing else was working for me. And how does this decision come about? Page 55, paragraph 3. We must search fiercely. God is there deep down inside us. Wow, what a thought. What a concept. The light is within us. Our creator has entered into our hearts. I used to think he was just up there in the sky and disconnected. Now, my concept has changed. I see him in you. I see him in me. And not only within but he is also out there in Mother Nature and everywhere. Remember, if I keep believing the same, I will be the same. I was always a seeker until I found what I was meant to find, to search God with all my heart and find him deep down with me, within me. My new way of thinking began. The light of the Spirit is within me. He is my breath. I started with this concept, and today I will share it with you. I practice on a daily basis to inhale God and exhale self. Inhale the light of God and exhale the darkness of self. To inhale unconditional love and exhale all that is not love. With every breath as often as I can remember throughout each day to do so until I didn't have to think about it. It became a part of me. It became me. Step two is just coming to believe, starting the process. It's a beginning of a promise to be restored to sanity. We just have to lay aside our old ideas and be willing to believe, to have our own conception and understanding of God. Because I was willing to change my concept of God and believe, today I live a healthy lifestyle. My thinking has been spiritually renewed. He has come to me because I have honestly sought him. I drew near to him. He disclosed himself to me. Seek and you shall find. Knock on doors and they shall be opened. Ask and it shall be given to you. The principle of step two is hope. I want something to happen or be true and think that it could happen. I was desperate and had a very deep desire to be healed. I had a willingness to believe and even an expectation that God was going to heal me. I believed it. I visualized it. I breathed it. Hope became my breath that carried me to the other side and gave me light in my darkness. I am not the person I was when I came into this program. I was conditioned by my parents by my friends, by my peers, by society, and then torn down. I cleared the slate, and I was rebuilt as God would have me be. He
He has healed my heart and closed my wounds. He is my solution to all my problems. What a miracle. What a gift. Remember, if I keep believing the same, I will be the same. I thank you so much, and I pass. Thank you, Irini. And now I welcome Sylvia S. from New York. Good morning, Leah. Good morning. Uh, this is Sylvia. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in upstate New York, and I'm very grateful, nervously grateful to be of service this morning. Um, on, on step two, I uh, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. <clears throat> and I... I am. I came in as agnostic, and I came in desperate and willing. And um, you know, now that we're studying the Big Book and we're saying we agnostics, I'm. I'm very grateful. I was such a textbook case because, you know, the Big Book. If I just follow the directions, and uh, it, it talked to me directly, and I could get what they had and what they promised, and that has been my experience. When I came in, I came in. Um, about nine years ago, and uh, when it said that it came to believe that a power greater than my, ourselves could restore us to sanity, even then uh, I did know that it could. It didn't promise to make me thin. It promised to restore me to sanity. And I came in no longer even caring about my weight. I was up close to 200 pounds uh, on a 5'4 frame, and when I finally came in, it was because I was standing in front of the freezer with a spoon, eating the ice cream out of the bottom of the container and crying, knowing it was insane behavior and not being able to stop. And so, you know, through a series of events, I found Overeaters Anonymous. And I came in so desperate, which is, you know, the best way for, you know, to come in desperate. And so I was just willing and so if they told me I had to believe in God, by God, I was going to try. So it, it's, so on uh, page 44, it says that we were suffering from uh, an illness, which only a spiritual experience will conquer. And that lack of power, on page 45, lack of power was our dilemma. And then it said, um, on p- page 47, one short question, do I now believe or am even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself. And I'm such a pragmatist that I just said, okay, well, where is that power? And the first thing I came up with was it was not me. And that was my mantra, not me. Anything else, I'll keep looking. But for the first time in my life, I knew that it was not me. And so um, then I looked around you know, and started saying, okay, where, where is the power? Where, where is the power? So then I looked at that there were tides, and I did not make the tides rise and lower. I couldn't change the seasons. And so um, I, could, I could say, okay, nature was certainly a power greater than myself. And then I started defining what I didn't have power over. And, you know, I, I could see that even if I washed my hands and I took my vitamins, sometimes I I got a cold or I got, got sick. So I didn't have power over that. I could see that as much as I wanted to control my children, I really didn't have power over them. Uh, my coworkers were just driving me nuts, and I could see that I did not have power over them. 
I could drive in the car and see that I couldn't control the other drivers on the road or when the light turned red or green. So I could finally go, oh, I am powerless. And I went through a period of just crying with relief because I thought that I had the power and therefore I had to fix my children and I had to fix work and I had to, I couldn't ever get sick. You know, I just took so much responsibility so becoming powerless for me was a gift from the program. I mean, understanding that I was powerless. And I was very, very grateful for that. So then uh, I, I, I could accept uh, my powerlessness. And early on in the program, uh, my, my mother passed away, and I came into the program right after. And um, I inherited our, our uh, we had a lake house, uh, a cottage, and I inherited that, and it was just filled with McGillicuddy with her things, a lifetime of her, her things and letters and stuff up to the rooftops. And so I went back to sort through her clothes, and somebody gave me all the tapes back before there were CDs, all the tapes, of the Joe and Charlie tapes. And I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything about the big book. And I just put that on as background as I was sorting through the house, and I realized, you know, in hindsight – what a God-directed, profound experience for me because um, they would be talking about, you know, faith and finding God and resentments, and it would be so profound that in the middle of my doing something that I'd have to stop and sit down and replay that part because it was lifting the veil of all this insanity that I'd had. And so gratefully, gratefully I did feel and I knew for me that the answer was in the big, in the big book. So then we came back uh, to the big book. And this was, you know, over a period of years. This did not happen in a couple of weeks at all. Then uh, it said, uh, leaving on page 51, it said, leaving aside the drink question. And on page 64, it says, our liquor was but a symptom. Over time, I could understand that this powerlessness on my part and that the power greater than myself, that I, I came in believing it was about food. And now where I am is understanding that food is my symptom and it is, it is the barometer of my spiritual fitness. And um, I'll come back and talk to that. But that's, that's where... Uh, a little bit of interference on the line. Uh, that's that's what I came to understand. So, on page fifty-two, we got to um, the question. It said uh, that it it could solve their problem. Simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, and we had to stop doubting. So that first part of step two is coming to believe. And so I, did, I could come to believe, but I didn't know how to have faith that, uh, like on page 53, God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or isn't. And it was this question of faith is like, can I believe that there's a power greater than myself? And do I have faith that this power is going to be in my life and directing me? And I've learned over time that the answer is yes, but it is through the steps. It's working the rest of those steps, those action steps, and looking at my resentments in my part and staying connected um, 
to God. How that worked for me is that I could, at the very beginning, surrender my food. I could um, sit in a meeting and um, say something and then surrender the rest to God and not be relentless and continue to try and push my will. So there was a lot of surrender going on. So uh, then, you know, I I hit a big um, a big wall, a, a big catastrophe. I felt like in my life it was with uh, a divorce uh, with one of my kids, a custody battle, you know, and um, it was in a, another country. Uh, you know, it was a, it was incredible powerlessness. And there I was, you know, walking down the grocery aisles, uh, checking out the pure dark chocolate, you know. And so if if those food thoughts are my barometer of spiritual fitness, I could simply say, uh, Houston, I have a problem. And I could go back to the big book and go back to my, back to a sponsor. So fortunately, uh, during that time, I had a fantastic big book sponsor, recovered sponsor, and I was going through so much pain over um, losing this granddaughter and, have you know, I mean, just having to walk away. And she could come back and work with me on uh, God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. And for me, that was, I hope, my final surrender, that I either had faith that God was not only going to be directing and taking care of me, but God was also going to be taking care of my granddaughter. And uh, someone in the program said to me that God has no grandchildren, only children. And I could understand that I had to give this up. I did not know, and I still don't know, when this child will be back in my life. But um, uh, faith is all or nothing. And so... um, So what it says on page 57 is, say, for a few brief moments of temptation, the thought of drink has never returned. And my gratitude is that I had amnesia about what food did to me and for me. I had, well, I knew, I remembered what it did for me. I didn't remember what it did to me until I could get in and get recovered and understand what my relationship with food was about. And so now I don't have amnesia. That is that is the greatest miracle. So if I look at something, uh, you know, whether it's you know it's sugar, carbos, whatever, whatever, but it's not what I eat, um, and I think that that's a viable idea. My next thought is, I'll feel terrible tomorrow if I eat that. And then my next thought past that is, I need to figure out what's going on. So it is only a barometer now because food is not my problem. Life was my problem. And step two is where I could have the faith and get God's direction. It's the beginning. It did not happen all at once. It happened over a period of years of working the steps, practicing the program. And I can use that as showing that I'm, I, you know, I'm back in will. I'm thinking that I have the answer to my problem. And um, what I'll leave you with is something that I heard another speaker say years ago. I loved the analogy, and I think of it all the time, is that I'm going down the highway of life. And you know those um, 
it's dots dots they're called which i love the name and they're the little bumps that keep us in our lanes on the highway and if you start to meander on either way you'll hear that bump 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 bump, bump and it's like oh you startle awake and you get back in your own lane and so that's what it's like for me now is that you know i i i i have faith um and where the faith came from this is the best for me the best part of this chapter is when I, you know, I had sponsors who were telling me to get down on my knees and pray to God. And, and I was doing it. I was willing, but it didn't work. You know, I was like, okay, I'll do this because I'm willing, but this didn't work. But in this one paragraph on page 55, it said, we finally saw that faith in some kind of God was a part of our makeup, just as much as the feeling we have for a friend. Sometimes we had to search fearlessly, but he was there. He was as much a great fact as we were. We found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found. It was so with us. When I started to realize for me that that God was, you know, in my heart, it's my friend. I can talk to God anywhere, anytime. I don't have to speak in a devout voice. It was just, okay, God, this isn't working for me. What do you want me to do? Uh, that's when I finally could have that dialogue, that ongoing dialogue. And uh, and uh, that last sentence, it was so with us, meaning I'm not different. I, I'm one and the same. So uh, all of that, uh, all of that, this whole experience is what has given me step two, which starts with came to believe and ends with, I believe, having faith one day at a time. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sylvia F. Now I welcome Kathy Kay. Thank you, Leah, and thank you to our panelists so far. Um, I'm Kathy Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater from the Boston area, and um, I really identify with so many things that have been said, and what I'm going to do is build on them but also share what what is different about my experience of coming to believe um, with the hope that uh, it will add something different. I've actually um, been in the rooms of OA for 20 years now, and um, I need to acknowledge to myself and to everyone that the first 10 years um, was a phase in my journey um, that I now label as being contempt prior to investigation, which is what's at the end of the um, note appendix on spiritual awakening in the back of the book. Um, and um, the reason I label it that way is that for the first 10 years I was in the rooms, um, I basically uh, took what I wanted and left the rest, which we often hear in meetings. And I left uh, the idea of a spiritual program because I was so strongly rooted in my agnosticism. After 40 years of living as an agnostic, um, I just had no openness to the possibilities. So those first 10 years, I did a lot of reading in the OA 12 and 12 in meditation books. I found the big book like Greek. I couldn't identify with it at all. Um, 
And I was hopeful because I had short-term limited success with food plans that I would be okay without um, this notion of God in my life. But during those 10 years, not much changed. Just as Irini said, if you continue to believe the same ideas, you continue to be the same person. Um, And that was true for me. There was not much change in my life during those first 10 years. Though I did lose some weight, um, and I did make some very good friends, and I had uh, at least two very loving sponsors. So I was benefiting a lot, but the door was closed to considering the possibility of a power greater than myself. I had learned self-sufficiency from a very early age, and I think I was one of those agnostics who had a chip on my shoulder um, about those who did have a faith in a higher power, um, that somehow they needed it and I didn't. Um, I think it was a repeated pain and struggle and going back into the disease um, that helped me to move into what I now think of as the second phase of this search uh, or for coming to believe. And that was I developed a willingness, um, a willingness to act as if. Um, and for the next few years, I would say about three or four years, um, I began to listen to my sponsor's directions. Um, I began to practice prayer and meditation, to read um, spiritual writings and to consider how they applied to me in my life um, without really being able to grasp a concept of a higher power. But I was willing to act as if, and, you know, it was really quite miraculous that although I didn't know why I was doing this, and nor did I feel a connection with a higher power, I did find that my life uh, was getting a little better, that um, rather than experiencing the uh, bedevilments as they're outlined on page 52 of this chapter um, of depression and anxiety and trouble with relationships, that those were beginning to diminish. Um, And so there was something about that daily prayer and meditation um, that was helping me, in addition to meetings and reading the steps on the wall and occasionally reading the steps in the 12 and 12 and discussing them. But I was not working the steps. Um, The first few times I read We Agnostics, I I did start to derive a bit of uh, comfort that maybe, just maybe, I would become more willing. And I have to say a turning point for me, like I heard uh, from Irini um, and Sylvia, was having a tragedy occur in my life um, when my son was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes at the age, I mean type 1 diabetes at the age of 12. And um, 
I remember I was up all night in the hospital crying about his fate and um, and saying, just like we've read uh, in some of the stories we've read, God, please, if if you exist, please help me uh, have the strength to, to cope with this and to support my son. And I felt a big shift at that moment, um, which, uh, increased my willingness to keep asking and to keep seek, searching. Um, and it was a few years after that that I started a study of the big book um, with a big book sponsor and big book step study meetings. And that shifted for me. My willingness became much greater. And I, I find myself... Uh, now it's about almost eight years since I started that process. Um, I now think of myself being in the seeker period. Um, I really want to know what this is, this higher power, this God, and I understand that it, since it is greater than me, I cannot fully understand uh, what it is. Um, in my big book study work, um, my willingness expanded as well as my sense that um, when I didn't practice my daily routines, which were now pretty uh, regular, I felt I lacked something. Um, so I wasn't just acting as if anymore. I was doing... Um, routine disciplinary disciplines that really helped me uh, make a connection. And in the last two years or so, a couple of suggestions have really made a difference to me, and I just want to share them with all of you. Um, one thing that was suggested to me was to actually write out my definition of my higher power. That was as part of my step to work um, was to write down exactly what I need my higher power to be and to do for me. And um, when I did this, I had now something I could imagine every time I sat down to ask for help um, or to meditate and listen. I had a sense of that higher power that was unconditionally loving me, that was showing me the right next action, that was giving me the compassion I needed for myself and for other people, um, that was uh, helping me to let go of critical character defects like my impatience and my perfectionism and my self-doubt. Um, so my higher power um, really became the answer to all my problems um, only because I actually created a vision for myself of what that higher power could do. I found that to be incredibly helpful. And at the same time, um, in uh, in Chapter 4, where on page 50, um, where it says, um, that these people flatly declare that once they came to believe, all kinds of wonderful things happened. 
on page 53, God either is or isn't, and page 55, deep down in every one of us, in every man, woman, and child is this concept of God. And those kinds of assertions um, just reinforced what I was beginning to experience. Um, And I would say as I worked through steps four and five and six and seven and eight and nine, I was told by my sponsor to make sure I bring God into every one of those uh, activities. Um, and uh, all I did was to ask that vision that I had of what I needed in order to go forward, and I started to feel like I was indeed in a working partnership with my higher power. Now, what I want to say today, and this is also similar to something Sylvia said, I can sometimes um, fall off the path um, with worldly clamor, and I should say that that happens more often than I would like. But today, I know um, I know the symptoms when I start getting agitated. It says that at the first sign of discomfort, we ask God to help us, and. Uh, I do that now. I used to think about food, but now at the first sign of discomfort, I know I have to pull back from whatever I'm doing and sit quietly and either do some writing or just ask for help or make a phone call to a fellow traveler. And then I can pretty quickly get a sense of what my right action should be and what God wants me to do and be at that moment. And this is truly a miracle. This is a transformation because, as I said, the really the first 50 years of my life, um, I really had no interest or willingness um, to embrace this way of life. And today I'm just so grateful to be in this way of life. Just one other thing I want to share, um, which I use very, very often, and I'm not quite sure. I know it is derived from the big book, but I haven't been able to find it in the big book. It's the set-aside prayer, um, which was given to me by uh, one of the um, big book teachers that many of us know, um, Herb Kay, in the set-aside prayer help me to set aside everything I think I know about myself, my brokenness, um, my spiritual path, and you, God, for an open mind and a new experience of myself, my brokenness, my spiritual path, and especially you. And I use this prayer often. It reminds me uh, of what Arini said at the beginning, which is we need to change our beliefs um, in order to change fundamentally in how we are in the world. Um, and it's in this partnership with, with the higher power that I now can define pretty quickly that I'm able to continue on this path. So 
So I think I'll stop there since we have two more panelists. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Kathy Kay. And I now welcome Marita S.O. from Virginia. Thank you, Leah. Um, this is Marita, a compulsive overeater recovered in Virginia. Can you hear me okay? Yes. <clears throat> Great. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, I appreciate being asked to step up and do this work. Um, it's it's uncomfortable for me, and I know that's probably why I need to do this. Um, and I love everything the other three speakers have said so far. Um, very, very moving. So I just wanted to talk about step two as being a conclusion step. I'm concluding that I need a power greater than myself to restore me to sanity. And I'm willing to seek out a relationship with such a power in this step. I'm willing and I'm opening myself to this new idea I'm coming to believe and to hope that there really is such a power and that there is help out here for me. And part of step two is just that coming to part, like uh, like waking up to this new and different idea that I don't have to do this alone. In part one, I'm in, in step one rather, um, I've been convinced that I can't do this on my own. So step two is the, uh, is the answer to the problem that I've come to grips with in step one. So step one explains I am so screwed, as <laughs> members of our community often point out. I love that phrase. And step two is the solution to my problem. It's this idea that, yeah, I alone am so screwed. I can't do this. All of the fighting, all of the work, all of my effort so far has just shown me that all I'm doing is digging a hole deeper and deeper into this pit that I'm sitting in. But the community, uh, the fellowship, is showing me that other people have recovered, and they're all pointing to step two. They're saying something bigger than us has lifted this off of us. You can have this too. So this is my hope. This is my experience in working these steps. First, serious disillusionment and uh, frustration and self-pity and all the rest of it, feeling totally broken and beaten up, and then being handed this bright package that says, something greater than you, if you're willing to look for it, if you're willing to open yourself to it and seek it out, something, a power greater than you, can bring you back to sanity, can lift this obsession. And that was, that was something I had to be willing to receive, just this idea, this conclusion that I too could be saved. That was really important for me to get. I had, to, I had to open myself enough to say, wow, maybe this can happen for me. Maybe. So that was the part of, like, coming to, you know, like waking up to a new idea that I'm not stuck 
that I am not unsalvable, you know, that there is something that can help me out. So the next thing was, well, okay, so what is this something? How do I get it? What do I need to do? Help me figure that out. And um, I remember when I was first working this thing that um, in reading all of the the different uh, instructions and listening to my sponsor and whatnot, that I needed to come up with my own idea, that that was the that the truth of the matter was that all of my upbringing and all of my religious education up to that point um, certainly hadn't helped me out of the spot that I'm in and that something must have been missing because I was, I had, I had initially as a kid, I grew up Catholic and I had these moments in my life where uh, it would be like, you know, when there's a cloudy sky and suddenly the sun peeks out through one of the little uh, cloud points and it just it just comes washing down in this ray. And that was my experience of God. I would have these little moments of transcendent, ecstatic exposure to this feeling of oneness and connectedness and wholeness. But it would last for like, you know, it felt like a nanosecond. It would last just a few seconds And then it would be like this residual hum that would stay with me for maybe a week or two. But I was always chasing that. Just like I chased the first bite, I would chase that trying to get back to those little little moments. And um, I had to – so I had always thought there was a God. I had these experiences throughout my life where these these little sun points would come out. And I, I was like, that was it, that was it, I need to get back to that. But this, that never stayed with me. I couldn't stay in that state. And, um, and things in my life happened that got me to the point where I totally rejected Catholicism. Uh, and then I just was like out on my own, making it up as I went. And mostly I was all self-indulgent and, and ego-driven and got myself to a really bad point where I was having to, to be part of this community, having to work this program. So when I was in the program, I had to come up with a new conception of God. All right. So my idea was that I would just use gravity. Gravity was going to be a, a higher power to me because it was something other than myself, and it was something that I was powerless against. And if I needed to confirm it, all I had to do was jump, and then I would land back on the ground. So gravity was a point of contact for me for something other than, higher than, greater than myself. Um, so, so what's holding on to me on this spinning ball hurtling through space? I am literally being held by gravity. 14 pounds per square inch of atmospheric pressure is hugging me down to the surface of the earth. And I trust that I won't float off. It's been my experience my whole life so far that I am held. I'm supported by the pull and the weight of gravity. And um, I can't fight it. I don't want to. I'm glad it's around, keeping us all grounded. So, 
you know, I think about the strong and weak forces that are holding the atomic structure together and then electromagnetism. But then there's gravity, and it's ubiquitous. It's this gentle giant I can push against, but it still gently keeps me here on the ground. So that was working for me. I can jump up and get immediate feedback. It's still here. It's still holding me. And that was my loose conception of God. I started with this metaphor of this ubiquitous force that is going basically unnoticed because it's everywhere. But it's powerful. It's all-encompassing, and it's always here for me. And that is my new conception and experience of God, that I am always supported. God is always here for me. It's me that's turning away from God when I stop noticing the connectedness that I have with God. It's not because God isn't here for me. It's because I'm ignoring that fact, and I'm working it like I'm on my own again. I've decided not to plug in. I'm disconnected, and what I need to do is turn back around and reconnect I just have to stand in the sunlight of the spirit instead of hiding in my own dark closet of my ego. So um, I'm looking at my notes here. All right, so, so I've just been ignoring. Okay, so we're asked to make an effort in step two to begin to have a conscious contact with this higher power, to begin to build a conscious relationship. So unconsciously, I've always been connected, only now I'm noticing it. So that was part of step two, too, was to take note, to come to, to bring it to the foreground in my brain and my awareness, and to focus on that instead of ignoring it, which in my ignorance, really, something that I always knew I love the word ignorance because it means to ignore a knowledge that I always already knew, but just to shut myself off from it. So I had, that was my mission. That's how I, that's how I think about step two. So another thing that I remember uh, about this time when I was working step two, doing the step two work, is um, that I, I, uh, I love the Dr. Seuss books. I love all of these children's books, and I'm, I uh, I bemoan my fate that I no longer have little kids to read to read children's books to because they're just there's so much wisdom in these things. But but I was thinking about the Dr. Seuss book called Green Eggs and Ham, and this is a powerful parable for me on how this program works and and this particular piece, the step two part. So I don't know. Probably everybody knows Green Eggs and Ham, but. Um, but Sam I Am is this brazenly self-promoting character who wants to get this nameless guy to try green eggs and ham. And this guy, he's the protagonist in the story. He's the guy I identify with. This guy doesn't want to. He's, like, pretty irritated by, um, by this, this Sam I Am dude who uh, he's, it's striking him as being really, you know, he's, he's badgering him about this. He's told him no. But, um, but Sam keeps coming up with, uh, with a new way to ask the same question. 
he repeats it over and over again, each time with a different twist. Would you like them in a box? Would you eat them with a fox? The guy keeps turning him down, right? Trying to walk away from Sam. But Sam keeps following him and exuberantly inventing new ways to pose the same question. On a train? In the rain? There gets to be a point in the story where a lot of bad things have happened to our hero, the ordinary nameless guy. He's dripping wet, that was the rain, and had quite a train wreck. He was on the train with the goat and the box and the fox and all kinds of stuff. So he, <clears throat> there he is. He's, a, he's, been a, he's been trying to run away from Sam this whole time. So here he is. He's stuck dripping. And he finally gives in. He doesn't want to. He does not want to do this. But he wants to be left alone. So he says, Sam, if you will let me be, I will try them. You will see. And this is reminding me of page 48, what we read in um, the chapter on we agnostics. That um, we found ourselves handicapped by obstinate sensitiveness and unreasoning prejudice. We'd been so touchy, even a casual reference to spiritual things made us bristle with antagonism. This sort of thinking had to be abandoned. So my old ideas I had to let go of, even, even my ideas about green eggs and ham. So faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we tried to be on other questions. And in this respect, alcohol was a great persuader it finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. And my disease definitely has done that to me. And so here's this guy dripping wet. He's being beat into a state of reasonableness. <laughs> so he's finally put down the fight. His old ideas, he's willing to try this thing. And there's this great moment in the book where he's got the green eggs lifted up on his fork, and he's looking at it sideways and his mouth askew. So you can see he really doesn't want to do this. And then that's the moment where he gives them a try. And now, as a compulsive overeater, I hate to see any food go to waste, but this is not an appetizing picture. I was really, really feeling sorry for this guy. I felt he had a right to blame Sam for all his troubles up to that point. He made a real pest of himself. So our hero, he takes a bite, and now everything changes. He really likes them. You see, and he goes back through the various moments of his life, walking with Sam, proclaiming his commitment to eat them in a box with a fox, something about socks, and on and on, boats and goats, trains, rain, and finally saying that he would eat them here or there. He would eat them anywhere. He's got a new attitude. He's turned his life around, and what he thought he would hate, he's finding to be exactly what he's needed all along. That's how I think about my higher power in me. And I don't think it's any accident that Sam's surname is I Am, the great I Am. This is not such a stretch, I don't think. I don't know. Maybe I'm doing this to poor Dr. Seuss. But so God's been after me all my life, asking me the question, offering to feed me something different than what I thought. Something, something that I thought I didn't want, and I was running and hiding the whole time. But this disease has finally got me cornered, 
and I ask for a way out from my higher power in his mercy threw me a rope. I grabbed on. But this was just the start of a whole new way of being. It was the beginning of a radical change. And step two is the solution to step one. But steps three through 12, that's the program of action that brings me to that solution. So I have to come to the conclusion that I do indeed want to be relieved of this obsession. I want to be restored to sanity. I want to get to know this higher, this greater power than myself that can do this for me. And because I want it bad enough, I'm willing to do the work to become more facile in my ability to connect with and relate to this higher, greater power. So, uh, so now, with with HP support, I'm willing to take HP everywhere, with with boxes, with foxes, with boats, with goats, every area of my life. My higher purpose shines through for me, and I'm finally awake to it. And that's how that's how I think of step two. Thanks very much for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you very much, Marita. And now I'll welcome Sharon R.S. from Minnesota. Good morning on this lovely Sunday morning. Thank you, Leah, and to all of you on the line, welcome. I am Sharon, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I was indeed insane when I began on this pathway. I was having, uh, if you look at page 52, it describes my state when I came into the rooms of OA. I was having trouble with personal relationships. I couldn't control my emotion, my emotional nature. I was a prey to misery, depression. I couldn't make a living. I had a feeling of uselessness. I was full of fear. I was unhappy. I couldn't seem to be a real help to other people. This is where I was. That's called the bedevilments. And I was plagued by them. I was miserable. And I couldn't stop eating. I couldn't stop. Some people say, well, if if I had an allergy... I would break out in hives, then I would stop, but that was me. I, I had a physical allergy to food, I, I um, wheat, I would swell, dairy, I would, my lungs would clog, I would end up in the emergency room with breathing difficulty, yet I could not stop eating. Kidney failure was where I was at, I, I uh, had proteinary, I had my legs were bloated. The doctor said that anytime you your kidneys get to this level, the only cure is medication for the rest of your life. She's never seen anyone ever cured from that condition. That's where I was, cholesterol 311, walked in the rooms, didn't think I could sit in the chair because it was a two-hour meeting. I thought, I can't sit there for two hours. I'll do what I can. I remember looking down at my lap 
thighs mounded up, rounded thighs, bloated with fluid. I was destroying myself with the spoon and the fork, and I couldn't stop. And I had two small children that I had to take care of. My mother and my mother-in-law were in fear of what they were going to do because they were elderly. I was older when I had my children, and my parents and in-laws were elderly and didn't know who would take care of the children. They were already trying to determine that when I could no longer do it. Yet I am here today. I'm here today, and I'm recovered. I don't have kidney problems any longer. I have to be careful about what medications I take. But other than that, my kidneys are well. I'm not running to the emergency room two or three times a year because I've eaten eaten something that is killing me. What happened? Well, the first step was I came to believe after, you know, I knew I had a problem, but then I came to believe. Now, I was a spiritual person. I was a believer. I believed in God. I prayed. I meditated. I trusted to the best of my ability. I was a member of a church. I did good works and good deeds, yet I could not stop eating. What was the problem? What was the problem? I honestly, honestly believe that there was something broken in my relationship with God. There was something missing. But I didn't have to know what the problem was, thank God. I came into there. I had been in OA for 10 years, and finally my sponsor said, there's a group of women over there that are getting recovered. If you go there, you will get recovered. And finally I was convinced to go. I went in the rooms, and that's where I was sitting with my thighs mounded up and, and not believing I could sit there the whole time. And yet two hours later, I was believing I could do this. I believed. I believed. And at that moment of belief, that group became my higher power. That group became my higher power because I believe that was a, it was a power greater than me. It was not me. And it was, had, they had a power by which I could live. I saw the light in their eyes. I saw that they, they were doing something and they were willing to share what they were doing with me. I came to believe that I could have what they had. And I reached out and grabbed hold of that hand that was extended to me. And from that day on, from that day on, 12 years, I have not taken a bite of non-abstinent food outside of my food plan. I have not had a compulsive bite from that moment on from the moment I came to believe until this very moment, and God willing, one day at a time, that will continue. And I'm so grateful for it. And I, looking at page 45 here, it says that uh, we had to find that power, and by the grace of God, I found that power. And then on page, as we go forward here, I just wanted to point out a couple of things in this book that that um, really stand out for me. On page 47, it says, we needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe or am I willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? That was the beginning for me. And it didn't matter that I thought what I thought I had. And it didn't matter 
that I loved the, my higher power as it was, as, as I, I, I still had that love. But I knew that this must be my higher power reaching to me because everything that I had tried before hadn't worked. And I knew that this must be what I needed to do because I had to have it. And so when I grabbed hold of that hand, I, I set aside all of the thinking about, well, is this God or is that not God and what's wrong with my previous belief and am I said, am I losing that? None of that entered my mind. The only thing I knew was that here was a solution. These women were recovering and men. They were offering their solution to me. If I did what they did, I would get what they got. That must be God's will for me because I knew my God wanted me recovered and what I was doing wasn't working. I didn't understand all the reasons behind it. Now more has been revealed. I understand a little bit more, but I don't, I don't completely understand everything and I don't need to. I just need to be recovered. I need to have peace and I need to be able to share that with other people. So I, I reached, I grabbed hold of that lifeboat, that hand that was reached out to me and, and I held on. And what I did was whatever they told me to do, because I knew that is, I accepted them as God to me. I accepted that recovery path as God to me because the God in my head wasn't getting me recovered. The God that I loved in my heart wasn't getting me recovered. And so I did what they said do. And the, the next day was Thanksgiving. I did what they said on Thanksgiving. I didn't think about this was a holiday. I just did it because my life depended on it. My children's life depended on it. My family life depended on it. So this is just what I had to do. It was what was reached. It was presented. This must be God. I did it, and I got recovered. And, and so I believed. And then what I realized is, is within three months, I was recovered. My kidneys immediately started recovering. Within a month, I went back to the necrologist, big name, and she was getting ready to. They were getting me. They had uh, getting ready to set me up for a biopsy for my kidney, so they could see what they could do to help me. And um, but by the time I went back a month later, the kidneys had recovered enough that she says, "I don't think we need to do this biopsy." Within two months, you released me completely. Just keep doing what you're doing, and don't go back to what you did before. And within three months, I had a visual in my mind, and I saw in my mind's eye that this group was putting my hand in the hand of my higher power. I saw it. I was sitting in a meeting, and I saw that they were in my mind's eye putting my hand in the hand of my higher power. They had bridged the gap. They had taken me across to the other side and lovingly put my hand in the hand of my higher power. And although I would say from the very first moment they were putting my hand in, it never left, you see. But I got that visualization that it was attached now, that I was firmly attached through this group, through these beautiful people who were sharing with me what they had gotten. They shared the big book. 
They shared the steps of recovery. They told me what they did. They, I did what they did. They put my hand in the hand of my higher power. And that beautiful relationship that I had wanted and that had been distant to me because of the food that had been separating me, I was connected with my higher power once again, with that great love that I had cherished and wanted and, and, and had, but there was something missing. And so I understand a lot more now that God never intended for me to live in isolation. And so I was trying to live an abnormal life. I retreated from life. And, and instead of pressing into life and being what God wanted me to be, God has a purpose and plan for me, according to the big book. And according to my God, even before I came, God had a purpose and plan. The big book just illuminates it for me. It just is a help. It's an aid. And so now when I live my life, I do what, what I put my life into my program. Because what I learned is that not only do I, did I need my program, this program, my sponsors and, the, and my recovery community to put that my hand into God's hand, I need my recovery program, you on this line. I need you to help me keep my hand in God's hand. I cannot do this alone. I cannot stay in the spiritual program of recovery alone. I need you, and I need the relationship that I have with God. And one thing that my sponsor talks to me about frequently is on page 84, and it's about how I keep that recovery program intact. And you know, now that we entered into the world of the spirit, it's been talked about much this morning, entering the world of the spirit. You see, because I could not, I couldn't get recovery by any other means. I was desperate. The bedevilments were with me, clinging to me. And the only way I could get out is by working this program of recovery one day at a time, working the steps, um, uh, being in fellowship with, with others to work through my pro, work my program to get over the hindrances, the resentments and fears and selfishness and self-centeredness. See, these were things that separated me from God, separated me from other people, separated me from living the life that I have been called to live, from playing the role that I needed to play. These things plagued me. They gave me discomfort. They caused disease. They drove me back into the food. They made me a slave to uh, discomfort and, and, and uh, the next bite. I couldn't control anything, although I kept trying by any means possible. I couldn't until I let go and accepted a higher power in my life. And then, then I began to get peace. And then uh, God helped me to match calamity with serenity. I began to know peace in a way I'd never known it before. And I could breathe again and relax in life without all the fears. And I became useful and helpful to my fellows, to my family. My children are healthy and happy and growing. And I'm able to, to provide and help them. And I'm able to be a wife and not be thinking that everything has to be the way I need it to be. And what my sponsor teaches me from page 84 
is in order to stay that way, then I have to I have to maintain that life and and to always guard for the selfishness, dishonesty, resentment and fear. And so there and, and the big book talks about I'm not going to go into detail because we're talking about step two, but just to let you know that this way of life, this is a way of life. And and to keep our hand to if you're out there and you're where I was, and it's hard for me to imagine anyone ever being as miserable as I was. I have to tell you, I thought I was at the, the you know the absolute worst in the bottom of the, the the heap, and no one could ever get any worse. But I'm sure each of us imagines that very same thing. But there is a way out, and then there's a way to maintain it one day at a time. We never ever have to go back to misery. We never have to go back. There is a way out one day at a time. And when our higher power, our higher power desires us, there is a way. And when we grab hold of that hand, we never, ever have to let go because this book gives us the the promise of maintaining our recovery. We never, ever, ever, ever have to step back. That doesn't mean that there isn't going to be calamity and pain and sorrow and difficulty and challenges. That doesn't mean that people won't disappoint us or hurt us. It just means that we will be sustained every day through this life. It's a hopeful and beautiful life. And if you're standing from a point where you can't see any way forward, know that just as in my case, the bridge formed as I stepped out the bridge of my fellows there to help me cross over to the place of a solid ground, to the place where I could walk again, the place where I could live in joy and peace that I had never in my life known. It wasn't that I returned to joy. It was that I found it, found something I'd never had. Because you see, I was seeking what I didn't know. And I didn't even know what I didn't know. So I had to just grab in the darkness, in the blindness of my heart, grab because I knew that there was hope. And when I grabbed that hand, grabbed back and pulled me forward, I just did what they said in my ear, what they said to me to do. They told me I did it. And when I did it, the ground formed before me and I was able to cross over to the other side. And once I crossed and stood on solid ground, there my higher power was in power to come to me personally personally in the way that I knew that same God that I believed before I got recovered is the same God that was waiting for me on the other side. It was the same. I didn't have to change my belief. I just had to open my heart and my mind that recovery was possible. I had to accept the help. I couldn't get it alone. This is not a program. We cannot recover alone. We need help. We have to accept help. And when help comes, we have to do what it says to do. We can't get help and do what we think we're going to do, which is what in the past for 10 years I sat in the room, couldn't get recovered because I knew too much. I knew everything. and But it was when I let go of all I knew and accepted that there was a better and a different way and that I was going to do it. And I want to just, there's one page here, page 50, and I want to close with this. Instead, we looked at human defects instead of looking at what just accepting 
that there's a better and different way. And if we reach out and accept that help, we can get recovery. Instead, we looked at human defects of these people and sometimes used their shortcomings as basis for wholesale condemnation. We know so much. I knew so much. I could look at everybody else and I'm not doing what you do because what you did didn't get what I want, which in some cases is, you know, we need to ask God to show us another route, you know, until we find somebody that has what we have and then we do what they do and then we get what they got. We miss the reality and the beauty of the forest because we were diverted by the ugliness of some of its trees. Find someone who has what you want. Do what they say and you will get what they got. And if you find the ugliness in them is something you cannot bear, then bless them and move to the next one. But don't ever let go of your program of recovery because of looking at the forest and seeing some ugliness in some other people. Because we can stay recovered regardless. And we are humans and there's human frailty. But through it all, there is a God that is greater than all of us, even greater than the people in the rooms, you see, that wants us to get recovered and we can get recovered and we can get it and we never have to let it go. Just believe that. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon R.S. From Minnesota, and thank you to all our panelists this morning. Irini M. from New York, Sylvia F. also resides in New York, Kathy K. from Massachusetts, Marita S. O. residing in Virginia, and Sharon R. S. Minnesota. Thank you very much for your shares this morning regarding step two. And we will now open the line for questions. Irini is not present for this portion of the meeting. And just a reminder, please, to not mention or endorse outside materials that are not AA or OA conference approved. Thank you very much. Let's start with the first question. Star 1 to unmute, please. Hi, um, my name is Debbie, compulsive over here. I'd like to know if I could get a phone number of one of the speakers. Yes, good morning, Debbie. All phone numbers will uh, be offered at the conclusion of the recording. Thank you. Oh, okay. Anyone with questions, please. Thank you, Debbie. I have a question. This is yes. Mary in California. Please in go the ahead. Of recovering, asking for help. Can they just expand on ways of asking for help? Would one of the panelists like to respond? Uh, Leah, this is Kathy. I'd like to respond. Please go ahead. Yeah. So uh, for me, asking for help is as uh, simple and straightforward as saying, God, please help me. Um, and, you know, it took me a while to get to the point where I was even willing to say that. Um, but during my acting as if period and uh, hearing from my sponsor that that's the easiest way to ask for help, I started doing that. Um, and over time, I started uh, sitting quietly and actually uh, receiving intuitive thoughts about the next right action I could take 
to address whatever problem I was facing. Uh, the best example of that, by the way, would be um, for a period when I didn't have a sponsor and um, I really needed a sponsor and I didn't see anyone to ask. So I just asked God, can you please help me find a sponsor? And um, uh, in fact, people started appearing either on a meeting or in a conversation um, it, those were the little miracles that began to happen. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Next question, please. Hello, my name is Donna. I'm a compulsive overeater. Go ahead, Donna. You know, I have a question. Um, it says in the big book, we have to be careful about um, praying that we should ask, but only if it if others would be helped as well. But, um, you know, the caller, the the person who asked the question before me, she asked for help um, for herself, you know, to find a sponsor. And um, there's things in my life that I need help with that are really troubling me. And I wondered if, um, uh, if anybody could uh, tell me about praying for things uh, or help with things in my life, not necessarily things, but just for intuition and inspiration, um, just help in ways to go in my life. So I wonder if somebody could help me with that. Hi, Leah. This is Sylvia. Please go ahead, Sylvia. Um, that's such a great question. Uh, so this is how it works for me is that um, – I know that because the big book tells me that the root of my problems is selfishness and self-centeredness. And through the practice of the steps um, and from the experience of the practice of those steps, I can tell now whether I'm asking for self or I'm asking for others. So the thing is, is that I need to be spiritually fit for others. And so, uh, you know, I always always have an ongoing issue with, you know, whether I want to direct my grown children or control them or whatever, whatever. And so my prayer would look like, you know, to pray for God to um, direct me and how he would have me be, who he would have me be in this situation. And I wait for those directions. See, I never waited before. You know, the the pause is incredibly important to me. So, what I'm, it, you know, so if something's happening, anywhere it's happening in my life, I'm, what I'm praying for is God's direction. And so then I'm also taking actions. It could be that I'm calling my sponsor. I'm going back to the big book to read. I'm working a step. I'm asking people, what have you done in that situation? You know, I, you know I'm, I'm, it's not like I, I sit in a void and it's just between me and God. The direction comes from God, but I am supposed to take action. And the big book says I'm supposed to take action. What it feels like when I get the answer is like my analogy for me is that I've been working on a 500-piece jigsaw puzzle, and I have the last piece, and it fits in, and I go, oh, yeah, that's right. So if the answer isn't right, I'm still agitated. I still have monkeys on the brain. I'm still having conversations with people who aren't in the room. 
So when I get back down to this is God's will, it's because I get quiet, my brain gets quiet, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do. And in some cases, in my case often, it's nothing. I'm supposed to do nothing because I want to do something. So with that, I pass. I hope that was a little helpful. Thank you, Donna, for the question. Anyone else with a question related to step two, please? Um, uh, May may I kind of um, talk about that, the previous question? Yes, please go ahead. Okay, yeah, Yeah, uh, about um, asking for something that uh, uh, only asks for those things that would help other people and, and not selfishly. It for me, it goes to motive of the heart, and in addition, it goes to, for instance, when I deal with my food, I put my food first, and when I started, my children were very young. My, my daughter was eight months old, and my son was still, he might have just turned three, but I had to get my food first. They talk about when you're on an airplane, put your oxygen mask on first and then put your children's mask on. So I look at my program like putting on my oxygen mask and getting recovered. I needed, as a parent, I needed to get recovered. I need my sanity in order to raise my children. So I need this program, and it has to be primary in my life. So, and when it goes, you know, now I'm 12 years out from my first recovery, beginning of my my recovery, and I still have to put my, my husband sometimes jokes, he's like, well, oh, look, she's got her food. And, and I, it just... I mean, he makes a joke about it, but the reality is, is yes, I make sure I have my food because if I don't have my program, I can't properly take care of my children. I can't be a good wife to my husband. I can't take care of my aging parents. I can't deal. If you heard my life today, you would think my life 12 years ago was easy, but I just have a very intense life, but living in the moment, making sure I take care of my program and my food, I'm doing service in my program, in my, in my recovery program. That is how I keep my oxygen mask on. That's how I put it on. And in every other area of your life, am I doing this for selfish means? I cannot afford to be selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, or fear. I can't live in those things. Got any prayer that I make, that removes those things from my life is not selfish. It is all about um, me being the best I can be and being where God wants me to be. And so that's the question. The other thing is sometimes we are praying and we think, well, I got to pray about this because um, I got to get this in order before I can go do this. Sometimes that's all about self-reliance. Because we believe that I've got to do A, B, C, D, and E before this can happen. And we need to let go of those things. And so it, sometimes we're in anxiousness and anxiety and we believe that, that that's the way to go. So the main thing is what is our motive and, and 
lining up with what is God's will for us and 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 is this going to center me in what God has for me to be? And if not, then we shouldn't be praying for it. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon, and thank you, Donna, for the question. Anyone else with a question related to step two, please? Hi, this is Becca W. Hi, Becca, go ahead. Thank you, and thank you all. Um, thanks to all the speakers and everyone who's on the line. I'm Becca W., uh, Grateful Recovering Compulsive Overeater. And my question has to do with um, when, you, when you're starting to work the steps and working the big book and you're really starting to find recovery um, to the point where you're almost recovered um, and you're in the rooms with other people who have not found that or are not working the program in the way that you are, um, you're seeing something happen for yourself and it's a whole new life and a whole new world and you want it so badly for these other people that you know and who are your friends. How do you sit with and how do you actually handle um, being okay with them not taking action steps or not finding their own recovery? How do you how do you deal with those feelings and, and what do you do in action, if anything? Thank you so much. Leah, Hi. can I take that one? Okay. I hear Marita first. Go ahead. Okay, um, that, that's a great question, and um, I think probably most, most of us can relate to it. One of the things that I was instructed to do when I first started working with uh, my, my, my big book sponsor, even before we started working the steps, was she required me to read every night page 417 and 418 um, in the back of the, of the fourth edition, the big book, and this is the part where it talks about acceptance being the key. And this, this really speaks to me every day. I still read this. And acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me, and I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing, happens in God's world by mistake. So um, so when I see things that aren't people that aren't behaving the way I would have them behave, whether they're my husband, my child, or other folks in program, I need to remind myself to ask myself, what it is about these people or this situation that I am not accepting. Because if I'm disturbed by their behavior, it is something in me that they are tickling. It's something about my life. Because everybody's working their own path. God is working with every one of us. And God uses everything, especially our mistakes. You know, the, prop, the, the trouble I've gotten myself into in my life has taught me so much more than any of the right things that I've been doing. Um, really, it's like, it's like that's what God uses to crack us open, to get us to a point where we can ask for help and see something new and be directed, become teachable. So all these people, which aren't 
working the program, they're working. They're working a program. It's not the program, but but God, hopefully, you know, they will be cracked open, and they may need to go through this. They are exactly where they're supposed to be, and all I can do is bring compassion and my presence, my example, um, just work my program, and maybe something about that will help them. Maybe not. Maybe there's something else that they've got to experience first. You know, we each have our own path. And my being disturbed by them, that's all on me. I've got to be able to lay that down, to put that aside, and to remember love and tolerance is our code. Just pray for them. You know, just push the love towards them. Shine the light on them. Offer them my compassion. Thanks. Hi, Leah. This is Sylvia. Thank you, Marita. Did another panelist want to respond to that question? Yes, this is Sylvia. Sylvia, go ahead. I loved this question. I was so there. (laughs) And uh, so when I first got recovered, so I, you know, it doesn't mean perfection. Uh, You know, the obsession has been removed. I'm no longer getting into the physical allergy. I am being guided by God. So I would go into a meeting And I I was in judgment. I was totally in judgment. And I would leave a meeting, and I would have to call my recovered sponsor, and I would have to do a 10th step when I left the meeting. And I'd have to, it says on page 84, continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And I was, you know, I was judging. Well, this isn't right. So, of course, it gets back to step two. Who says it isn't right? Me or God? So, oh, it's me again. It's so surprising. So, uh, so then um, I, I was also pointed out to go to, and it's the same chapter, acceptance was the answer on page 419. It says, but when I try to see what I can add to a meeting rather than what I can get out of it, when I focus my mind on what's good about it rather than what's wrong with it, the meeting keeps on getting better and better. When I focus on what's good today, I have a good day. When I focus on what's bad, I have a bad day. If I focus on the problem, the problem increases. If I focus on the answer, the answer increases. When I go to a meeting now, um, I don't. I, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant because I don't believe that I am a finished product. I have plenty to learn, and I learn from so many people in the meeting. But when I go, I go as service, what can I bring to this meeting and not what can I get from it? Um, and that has really helped it helped me uh, turn around that judgment. It doesn't mean that I can't look at someone and go, gee, I wish that they could get what the big book promises. But um, I'm there to provide service. I'm, provide, I'm there to provide my story of recovery. And if they're attracted to that, um, then I'm there to help them, and it feels much easier for me now. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Anyone else with a question related to step two? Hi, it's Kim in um, Louisiana. Hi, Kim. Go ahead. Hi. Um, I wanted to address a question um, specific, that anybody can answer, but specifically to Sharon, um, the last speaker. Um, and she talked about prioritizing and putting her program first. And um, considering what she um, shared with um, coming to believe and the group being her higher power at some point putting her hand 
um, into her higher power's hand, and that that higher power being the same one that she came into the to the uh, to the rooms with. I wondered how she prioritizes, or how does she blend, or does she find any contradiction? Well, let me, here's the question. The question is, how does she um, prioritize her higher power or her religious beliefs, the beliefs she came in with, with the big book? The big book doesn't contradict any belief, you know, in terms of religion. But I'm just curious as to, you know, 12 years later, how that has um affected her um, her belief in the uh, her higher power. I don't know if that's clear or not, but I'll pass. Well, this is Sharon. What is your name again? That's Kim. Kim. Okay. Hi, Kim. Yeah, that's... Um, I, I believe I understand what you're saying is how has my relationship with what has changed? What is different? Because if I still have the same God and I'm totally different in many ways, then, then what changed? And in all honesty, for in recent years, uh, I have had some changes in church, uh, the church that I'm at and so forth. And, uh my but i don't know if if that is directly related to my my uh program Be, my god hasn't changed my church perhaps has changed my belief i have a my mind is more open i what i believe is different fundamentally is that I have expanded my understanding. For one thing, I believe that part of the reason I couldn't get recovered with just my previous belief is that I was trying to do so in isolation, which goes against what my higher power's will for me was. And I had rejected in by accepting the food the role that God had for me to play in life. And so since I was going against the grain in life, in other words, I was trying to be God in a sense of, of in terms of saying, okay, I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to do that. This is the role I want to play. So I'm on the stage of life trying to play a role on in the play of life, there's a play going on, and God's the director, but I'm on the stage trying to run my own show. Whether I was trying to run somebody else's or not, it didn't wasn't the question. But I certainly was trying to run my own, and what my will was was by golly, I'm not getting out there because I don't want to play that role. I don't want to be exposed to to this and that, and and the world doesn't want me. I don't want them. I don't like these people. They don't like me. Things have been mean. And so what, what I realized, that the truth of the matter was, God didn't need to change. My religion didn't need to change, although I've, I've made some changes recently. But 
uh, it, because I, it just doesn't fit with where I am today, but I, it didn't need to change. I was the one that needed to change. I was the one that had just false beliefs and unrealistic dreams, and and uh, I was trying to run away from life, and I'd had some hurts and pains when I was a child that I had never dealt with, and so that had had skewed me, and God wanted me healed. God wanted me healed in my innermost being, inside, and God wasn't going to go and make me something that, you know, I was supposed to be when I was, was in full retreat from life. And so what program has taught me is how to live life on life's terms, how to accept, as we were talking about earlier, acceptance is the answer to all my problems. They have to accept that the world can be mean and the people in it can be mean. But that doesn't mean I have a right to run away from life. I just have to find a way to deal with it. So, so that I hope that answers your question. But in truth, and my God didn't need to change. My religion didn't need to change. You didn't need to change. I was my problem. I was the big problem. And I'm, that is the good news of recovery. If I'm the problem, I can do something about it. I can change. I can be different. And that's what this program is all about is doing something about what we can do something about, accepting our own problems and, and, and working on ourselves and letting go of trying to change everybody else and recognizing that once we deal with ourselves, all that other stuff falls into place. When I pass. Thank, Thank you, Kim, for the question. Anyone else this morning with a question related to step two? Sue G. I didn't catch your name? Sue G. Sue G. Go ahead, please. Call me Sue. What the heck? Okay, I'm from Pennsylvania. Um, I I really loved this discussion. This has been wonderful. I was thinking, and I'm I'm a recovered member of our fellowship, a recovered food addict. Um. I was thinking about the freedom of our recovery, which of course we we reach we start at step ten at step two we get to step eleven eventually in order but um something I think that has been of value to me is that I thought I knew nothing, but i really in in doing step two you have to unplug the place where the screw is screwed in wrong, gather the loose screws together, and then eventually you replug in and you make your connection with God. And as people have said, the higher power is always there, but we're not noticing. I, I believe that really we have much more in the way of resources than we give ourselves credit for at the very outset and that part of recovery is realizing that we can return to what we always knew, as it says in the big book, every, every man, woman, and child has a, some, some little awareness of God within and a need for it. Um, I'm just paraphrasing because I misplaced my big book. But um, we, we in our defiance and grandiosity and our addiction don't remember what we always knew, but we really have something. 
And I'll give an example, and I'd just like to ask the panelists if they have something like this um, and what it is, just with the idea that these things really help in our acceptance in step two. So for me, uh, an example of something that I've always known is music, that, that I can go to that and I'm in touch with my higher power. And once I became a little bit willing to give up my food prescription for my, for my uh, physical, emotional, and spiritual health, I, I realized I always knew this and that this really helped me in my recovery to move through the steps. And I'm just wondering if, if the panelists have something they have always known that they have turned to that's given them that, that uh, physical, emotional, and spiritual connection that we need in our recovery. That's my question I pass. Any panelists like to respond? Leah, this is Marita. Go ahead, Marita. Um, okay. Um, something that, that was given to me early in, in program too, um, that I that that really helps is waking when I first wake up in the morning, this is what I was challenged with. When I first wake up in the morning, is take that deep breath, that first breath, and thank God that I'm still alive. You know, the fact that I'm alive is not on me. It's not, it's not because of anything I've done. It is a gift. It's a gift every day to wake up and just have another day, another chance to, to, uh, to, do, to do the work in front of me, to be of max service. And um, so that's the way I start my day is with the prayer of gratitude. And um, I use the breath. I use my breath to keep me connected to myself, my physical body, so that I'm not off in my head floating away somewhere, but also connected to my higher power. You know, I go back to my body. I stay grounded in my body because in my addiction, I never connected to my body. I was always off somewhere in my head, in a fantasy, in a, a drunken stupor, uh, not willing to even notice how I was physically harming my body. But now I stay tight with my body. It's my, this body is my amazing gift. And just feeling my breath, feeling the soles of my feet, feeling my heartbeat, bring me back, bring me back in touch with my HP. Thanks, I pass. Thank you, Marita. Sylvia, did you want to respond? All I would add, this is Sylvia Recovered in New York, all I would add is that when when I started to put the food down, I had so much time to do other stuff. And um, so I, I actually started playing the violin in my 50s, and that would give me incredible joy. Um, taking a walk, being in nature, gives me incredible joy. Things that I did not feel before. And so I, I would agree that there's so much joy in life. I had to put the foot food down first, and I had to work the steps because I had to quiet my brain down. And um, and that changes all the. It, it changes. It's not one thing. It's not just music. Uh, dance is an incredibly important part of my life that I didn't start taking up until in my late 
late 50s. I'm in my early 60s now and uh, doing dance almost every day. So, yes, there's so much joy in that, and that is a connection with God. And it's all the things that I didn't have before I was recovered, and I'm very grateful for that. Thanks. Thank you, Suji, for the question. And thank you to all our panelists this morning, Irini M. from New York, Sylvia F., Kathy K., Marita S.O., and Sharon R.S. We thank you so much for your time this morning sharing with us your experience with Step 2, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And I will close this morning with the way we always close our meetings here on A Vision for You, and that's from page 164 from the chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.